0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Night on South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, let's start with a question here. Who would you rather be right now? Walker Howard, Jackson Dart, or Graham Mertz? I feel like you got to go Graham
1: Mertz. That guy has more job security than Jimbo right
0: now. I mean, maybe, maybe, but, but here's the thing. If Florida comes over the top a la Lane Kiffin and recruits another power five transfer quarterback, then you're kind of feeling like, oh, you know what? Not the best situation. Maybe Graham Mertz isn't going to be the guy of Florida. But as of right now, you probably do have to pick him because if nothing changes, he's the one who's in line to start. Whereas those other two, Walker, Howard, Jackson, Dart, get the, um, I don't want to say it's surprising news, but they got the big news on <laughs> on Thursday that they're going to be joined in that quarterback competition by Spencer Sanders, the Oklahoma State transfer. If you don't know Spencer Sanders, here's just kind of the brief rundown. We got a lot to get to today, but I figured we'd start at the top with this. Mm -hmm. Spencer Sanders is Fiesta Bowl MVP last year. It's somebody that has 85 career touchdowns four-year starter at Oklahoma State. How does he still have another year of eligibility? It's always the COVID year. Remember that. If you're ever wondering why is this six-year senior still playing, it's always because of the COVID year. But Spencer Sanders is walking into a situation with one year of eligibility left, and I can't imagine being Jackson Dart knowing that when this week started, Will – he was the only trans. He was the only scholarship quarterback on Ole Miss's roster. And in consecutive days, Lane goes: Walker Howard, you're coming to Ole Miss. Spencer Sanders, you're also coming to Ole Miss. Wild, wild development to see, and what it confirms. I don't think Lane Kiffin likes Jackson Dart that much, and we've been on that from the jump.
1: Yes, one hundred percent. You know, we never claimed to be body language read between the lines expert, but it was pretty obvious. When you watched Lynn Kiffin coaching Jackson Dart, that whatever he thought he was getting out of that exchange, it it he felt like he didn't get it. And so now, you know, when you bring in one transfer quarterback, maybe when you bring in
2: two,
0: that's the key. <laughs> they were going to bring in one no matter what they were right. like, they, they needed the depth at quarterback. But if you're if you're Jackson Dart, adding Walker Howard, you're like, all right, this guy's younger than me. I'm good. I'm still going to be the starter. This is, he can be the quarterback of the future. Jackson dart's going to be draft eligible after next season. But then when you add in Spencer Sanders, that totally changes the equation for me. Oh yes. And the thing, you know, what I immediately
1: thought, man, is that honestly I feel bad for Walker Howard. You know, this is a guy that, you know, his dad played at LSU um, that I'm sure it was a hard decision for him to transfer from LSU and into the portal. And obviously Daniels and Nussmeier both coming back is something that as an LSU fan, and I'm sure as Walker Howard, it was completely unexpected. And so he was sitting there and he was third on the depth chart. And I'm sure it was a hard decision for him, you know, because he had been recruited by Coach O and he had to buy into Brian Kelly. And then he probably felt a little bit, you know, lied to or miscommunicated to at least now there's two guys ahead of him. And then he goes to Ole Miss probably thinks, okay, well, you know, Jackson Dart is a guy that he could probably beat out soon, if not this year, next year, right? And then Then, okay, the thing that I would think is that he was also really close to Billy Napier. You know, Napier almost came in at the 11th hour when he committed LSU, and he was a guy who was always on the shortlist for Walker Howard when he entered the transfer portal. I bet if Walker Howard had known, okay, Rashad is not going to be at Florida. And there's gonna be an additional guy at Ole Miss, because remember he left LSU because he didn't want to be third string. And so if he was only battling with Graham Mertz at Florida and he was he knew the situation as we know it today, I would personally think Walker Howard would be a gator, but that's
0: just my opinion. Counterpoint. What if Walker Howard is was told of that and Lane did communicate with him? And I'm not trying to Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to speculate here and assume that I know what Lane said to each of these guys For all, I know he told them absolutely nothing. He just said here, come over to Ole Miss, uh, you know, <laughs> come to the sip and that was it. And that was the entire recruiting pitch, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if Lane hold Walker Howard, all right, Spencer Sanders is going to come in. He's got a year of eligibility. You're going to be our guy moving forward. I'm not sold on Jackson dart. If you hear that, you're banking probably on Jackson Dart transferring, like that's that's mm-hmm. reality where it gets messy and it where it, this could actually create a very rare in this day and age three quarterback battle. All guys who feel like they can actually win the starting job where this gets messy is the Jackson Dart transfer situation. Mm-hmm. Now, so
1: really he, quick, can you reset the deck for me on just how those rules work because I they're ever changing? Yeah, that's
0: what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. The NCAA is trying to tell us, and I think this came out like a week ago, hey, if you've already transferred once as an undergrad, we're going to make it really difficult for you to transfer again. Jackson Mm -hmm. Dart is not going to be a graduate transfer, graduate transfer by August, unless we're (laughs) living in some world in which that guy's getting his degree in two and a half years of school or something like that. I don't think that's going to be able to happen. And I don't know what his waiver case would be to the NCAA when he has gone to two different schools. And if he's trying to go to a third different school to play immediately. So Kiffin in this spot can kind of bet on Dart, who, by the way, can't enter the portal right now because the window has closed. Remember that as well. (laughs) So for everybody that was tweeting the second that they saw Spencer Sanders going to Ole Miss, oh, now we're going to hear Jackson Darko in the portal. The window is closed. So that can't even happen until after spring. At the very least, you're getting all three of these guys on campus, and you're just going to let things play out as you will if you're Lane. And this, at the very least, what this is telling us is that Lane doesn't care if Jackson Dart leaves. That's – I don't think there's any debate about this. This is not bringing in two guys to motivate Jackson Dart. This is having a year sample size of Jackson Dart in that offense and thinking – I don't know if I'm really going to invest the time and energy because the difference, Matt Corral, for everybody that was saying Jackson Dart was going to have the year two step that Matt Corral did and that, you know, the high interceptions in year one, like Lane was going to work that out of him, whatever. You know what Lane didn't do going into Matt Corral's second season as a starter is go out and get two power five transfer quarterbacks. So this is very different.
1: Yeah, it's, and it's it's tough, you know, the transactional nature of this whole thing and what it's kind of always been is now out in the open. You know, you talk about these guys, you know, back in the day that, I mean, um, Miles Brennan was a great example of the guy that sat on the bench and sat on the bench for LSU and just waited his turn. And now, you know, not only is it, you know, guys are leaving for greener pastures, but then like you said, you have guys who are brought in that maybe the relationship isn't what they expected it to be and now they're kind of stuck in the way that jackson dart is so it's a rough situation for everyone we're talking about here except for graham Mertz who is just like i said yeah. living like a king he's he's getting into the ranches business with jimbo i feel he's sitting there in a rocking chair just like so what y'all gonna do now because okay let me ask you another question with this is this like stoppage time in soccer with this transfer portal? how are we only
0: hearing about this here's now? here's so here's the way that this works now with the windows if okay. you are if you have already entered the portal you can still commit to another School, right? oh But why they say it's closed is you cannot, as of as of like right here in this moment, enter the transfer portal until after spring. So that's okay. that's the good news from a roster management standpoint. Is everybody that you can obtain is already in the portal as of this moment? You can be an Got uncommitted it. person in the portal. It's not like musical chairs where if you're in the portal, you're just not able to pick a school all of a sudden. But it is different. And Kiffin, I think the timing of that. Getting two guys right at this point, right at this point where the portal closes and you're like, bam, all right, I know I'm going into spring with this. Apparently Spencer Sanders is getting here uh, I shouldn't say here I don't live in Oxford he's getting too old Miss in in the spring and he's going to be able to compete for that job and that's going to create a really unique situation and Kiffin's going to get something that very few coaches have and that is a three quarterback battle and the Walker Howard element of all this you could theoretically if you're Lane go with Walker Howard as your starter if you're not impressed with Spencer Sanders because Spencer Sanders is out of eligibility after this year so mm-hmm. you you have options if you're Lane this is just a very one-of-one situation for the era that we live in, to have Jackson Dart be as decorated as he was as a transfer less than 12 months ago, Okay, mm-hmm. and then to have two guys recruited right behind you when you were maybe expecting to be the incumbent starter. Again, we don't know those conversations, but just a wild development, I thought it was, for Ole Miss, and something that will have a lot of attention nationally to figure out what in the world this looks like. My guest today, Will, maybe you'll disagree with this. Spencer Sanders is going to be the starting quarterback for Ole Miss.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, too, is the guy with, you know, a year left, there has to be some type of at least an edge that's given to that guy for him to choose your university. Yeah. yeah. And and, and the best part of this is that we all know Lane's a little bit different. We know, not to call him, you know, crazy, but he's eccentric. And so he might see a little bit of that, the Heisman package we saw with the Ravens where they had, like, Ingram and RG3 and, and Lamar. Like, maybe you get Walker Howard out there, you know, running a route. I don't know. But if he has all three of these guys, like, he might just use a couple of them.
0: Maybe. Key stat, I think, for for Jackson Dart. One more note I want to add to this. Mm-hmm. For everybody that was pro-Jackson Dart this year, um, and I think you need to go back and look at some of the throws and some of the big windows that he was throwing into, mm-hmm. and some of the frustration was that, and I looked this up because I, I thought, and I'm I'm mad at myself that I didn't have this stat in the regular season, but I, I, it was something that I kept I felt like I noticed on the stretch in games against FBS teams with a winning record, mm-hmm. there were seven opportunities for Ole Miss. Jackson Dart only accounted for eight total touchdowns, seven passing, one rushing, which was the Texas Tech one. That was the only rushing touchdown he had all year. He threw seven. He finally got a
1: rushing touchdown. What a game. He did Yeah.
0: Finally got there. But, it, yeah. but the seven interceptions, too, in that spot. So I think that's kind of what forced Kiffin to say, I, I, I need to figure out something because I didn't see enough of that upside. I didn't feel like I could execute my offense. I didn't have that confidence and that I needed to have in a guy like Jackson Dart. So very interesting developments out of Oxford this week, man. Yeah, Very the thing
1: that's crazy too is we truly have no idea how good Old Miss was last year. Like on a week-to-week basis, they were one of the most confusing teams because they got up there. They were, what, number seven when they played LSU? And then we all know how that went. But you had the lane job speculation. You had all this stuff going on. So we don't know if none of that happens. Like if Lane just comes out from the jump and is like, I'm happy here. I got my NAL money because, you know, they had to do the kind of like outside. If that deal was worked out in the preseason, maybe they finish as a top 15 team and they don't have those struggles. We never know. You know, and obviously Chris Park is out, they got a new DC and Pete Golding, which again we don't know what that guy is. So Ole Miss is now like Ole Miss in Florida. Now like the two like can't wait to watch and see how this
0: plays out kind of teams. frisky old Miss. I'm gonna go sit up on the square. I'm going to go have myself a pickle martini and just pretend that I'm right. Thompson living in Oxford, just enjoying mm-hmm. life. I don't know that he lives in Oxford, but I just assume right. Thompson lives in Oxford or something like on that. vibes. His vibes yes. live there. Oh, for sure. Great show lined up today. I've got a rant about the big 10. That's been festering for a long time here. Uh, we're going to get some insight on the Jaden Rashada mess and really the mess that is Florida right now with mm-hmm. Edgar Thompson and the Orlando Sentinel went really in depth with him. And then we're going to have our bowl mania winner, Donald Hugh. Use is going to join us a little bit later to close us out. All right. Well, I've been thinking about this for a bit. I have. And I was wondering when the best time to be able to, to kind of vent this frustration would be. And I decided it's going to be now. Every once in a while, I'll get asked, How I can say anything kind about the SEC when I grew up in the Midwest, and I'm not saying by like people in this business, but I'll get like family members or or something like that. Mm -hmm. I have a few idiots that will show up in my mentions who will tell me that because I didn't grow up in the SEC, I can't speak on it, which I guess in their world means that even beat reporters and columnists can't write about a subject unless they've consumed it since birth, which is solid airtight logic that has no issue whatsoever that's Listen, really these people sweet. get so mad at you, they called me a Yankee for the first time in my life. I oh don't know why God. people get so mad at that. Yankee by association. Welcome to the club, man. Uh, but I have a few people that, that follow my work who will say, wow, you've really gotten away from your Big Ten roots. And I have. You know why I have? The Big Ten saddens me in so many ways. So many ways. I pride myself if you're the, the highest compliment that you can possibly pay me about my work and what I feel like I bring to the table is that I call it like I see it. I try to, I don't have an sec team. I have far more big 10 connections in my life because I graduated from Indiana. I spent two and a half years in central Nebraska. So I have plenty of Cornhusker friends. My mom went to Illinois. So I grew up with that. My first exposure to college football was going to Northwestern games as a young kid in the early to mid nineties. On top of that, for those who don't know, I launched our company's big 10 site Saturday Mm -hmm. tradition. Okay. Um, That's the entire reason that I left my then fiance now wife in Nebraska. And I drove a U-Haul 27 hours across the country with all of our belongings to our old SDS offices in Orlando. I say it all the time. 2014 Ohio state is the reason that I am on these airwaves right now talking to you. The little backstory that goes into that. My former boss decided that after that season, when Ohio state wins the national championship, yes, yes, we're going to apply everything we did with Saturday Down South and use that to launch our Big Ten site. The conference was set to take off after that first year of the playoff. Ohio State was about to be a unanimous preseason number one. Michigan had just got Jim Harbaugh. James Franklin was the hot and -and up-and-coming coach in college football. Michigan State had just won a New Year's Six Bowl. The SEC had just gone consecutive years without a national title, and now it was the Big Ten's turn to take over the sport. My SEC-focused former boss was calling it like he saw it, okay? The Big Ten was supposed to take a big step. And so in that first season, 2015, surrounded by nothing but SEC writers, and Will, you remember this because you were in those SDS offices back in the day, Mm -hmm. um, I was the redheaded stepchild of the office. I was. I I totally was. And I admitted- Is that like a slur for Irish people? you've never red heard red no i've heard it but you don't take that personally look at that i'm just I kidding because take... you literally have red hair i'm just playing with you i don't have red hair i don't have red hair <laughs> there we go there it is i have a red beard which is okay pretty common if i shaved my beard that doesn't make me a redhead just coming back to that because mm-hmm. i would get called that and you know it's it's tongue-in-cheek it's guys being dudes it's busting chops it's it's whatever that that's fine but 25 year old connor admittedly dug his heels in and I would defend the big 10 whenever I could, because if the big 10 suddenly lacked relevance, as a result, I felt that I lacked relevance. Okay. I'm Mm going to be honest. Lauren was going to pick up her entire life and drive, drive down to, to Orlando six months later. And that was at a time when we're in our mid twenties, we're planning our wedding. The last thing that I wanted was to lack relevance. Early on, I'd get really defensive when people would drag the Big Ten because it would come from the SEC, and it felt like they were saying to me as the person who launched our Big Ten site, who picked up everything in his life to move to start this new opportunity, it felt like those people were saying to me, hey, you know that subject matter that you risked your entire career on? It's irrelevant. I, at that time in my life, was not the guy who called it like he saw it. I was the guy who called it the way that I wanted to see it because given my surroundings and the circumstances, I was insecure. I'm admitting that, okay? In those first two years in which all I wrote about was Big Ten football in 2015, 2016, the closest thing that I got to a Big Ten victory cigar was the conference having four teams ranked in the top 10 of the final AP poll in 2016. Never mind the fact that the conference is representative got shut out in a playoff game both of those seasons, and the three best teams in 2016 that the Big Ten had, they all lost New Year's Six Bowl games. That was my victory, though, four teams in the AP Top Ten. I told myself, because of that, that the Big Ten had more depth than the SEC because the SEC's lone Top Ten finisher that year was Alabama. I wouldn't say that I was Mr. Spin Zone constantly and the way that I see some people crying on Twitter doing that, and it's really frustrating. Shout out, Mr. Ohio. But I'd make these points not to say like, oh, the Big Ten is better than the SEC, but rather to just try and show that the Big Ten had relevance. When I started this job, that is all I hoped for. I wanted the Big Ten to be relevant. Make it relevant so that I don't have to tell my fiance, hey, nobody cares about this conference. They're going to cut their losses with Saturday tradition. I'm going to have to start over somewhere else. I didn't want that to happen. Make it relevant so that I can be there at the grassroots of the best time in this conference's history, and I can ride this wave. Because whether beat writers or columnists, whether or not they want to admit it, their job is far more stable when the team that they cover is people that actually care about the team that they cover. That's mm-hmm. that's a little secret, little industry secret for you. But then a funny thing happened, Will, and you remember this, my bosses said in August of 2017, Connor, we want you to write about the Big 10 and the SEC. We're gonna have you do both. You are gonna be the first person that we've had at this company who writes about both conferences, but let's be honest, okay? We understand the the dynamic here. You're probably going to be asked to do more stuff on the SEC side than the Big Ten, but your title is going to be national columnist. So I said, sure, let's roll with this. Let's do this. It was an eye-opening year in many ways, personally and professionally in this new role. I saw the light. I did. I finally understood why the SEC flexes and why the Big Ten is the little brother who just doesn't understand why it gets picked on. Okay. With clear eyes, I didn't have to tell myself that any conference was better than another because I didn't feel like my job depended on it. I could just call it like I saw it. Crazy concept. Here's how I saw it that year. It was an all-SEC national championship with Georgia and Alabama. You might remember. The Big Ten was left out of the playoff entirely, and Ohio State fans, and even some writers who were desperate for relevance, were livid that their 2 lost team got destroyed by Iowa and then didn't make the playoff. So the following year before 2018, I went to SEC media days. And then immediately after I flipped to Chicago for big 10 media days. That was the gig at SEC media days. There was some flexing. Of course there was second time that decade, the SEC had an all SEC national championship, something nobody else had accomplished in the 21st century. Yeah. We heard about that. I get to big 10 media days that year. Jim Delaney's up there and he's bragging about TV revenue. And he's bragging that the conference made the switch from an eight game conference schedule to a nine game conference schedule.
1: Something that's worked super well, as we've discussed.
0: I still get into fights with people about this. It's idiotic. It is maddening. Okay. I'm like, at, at the time, I'm just like looking around going, surely I'm not the only one who's just exploding in my mind, hearing these words. From Jim Delaney. I get it. He's the most powerful man in college sports in the 21st century with what he did for the TV rights era. You can make that case, but I'm just like, there's no way that you're saying this when your conference hasn't scored a single point in each of the last three playoffs. And you're telling me that this is your spin zone. This is what you want to talk about to this day. That is still some odd feather in the Big Ten's hat, and it shouldn't be. It was a self-sabotage move, and if you disagree with that, you've clearly missed the part where, the, with the exception of the COVID year, we're going to throw out 2020, where schedules were all over the place and whatnot, all the national champs in the playoff era had an eight-game conference schedule. And the power five teams with a nine game conference schedule, they're two and nine in playoff semifinal games. OK, by the way, power five teams with an eight game conference schedule, they're 14 and four in playoff semifinal games. But hey, Big Ten got that TV money. Good thing you had that extra conference game. Awesome. Continue to flex on the SEC during Cupcake Week. Great. How's that going for you? That's the flex. Flex. And the Big Ten continues to say, and they said that year, and I asked different coaches about it, I remember asking James Franklin about it, I remember asking P.J. Fleck about it, and they continue to say that the SEC is just out here making life easy on itself. Not Big Ten, but Sonny Dykes just talking about that. Just had that comment right before the national championship. How did the national championship go? Didn't matter that you didn't have a cupcake, you didn't even though you already had an FCS game earlier in the year. We don't need to talk about that. Do I think that the conference schedule thing is the only reason why the Big Ten has struggled to be relevant the last eight seasons? No. But do I believe that the Big Ten cares far more about continuity and a great business model than uh, like anything else? Yeah. (laughs) There's the belief that the SEC is too rash when it comes to coaching turnover. How many current Big Ten coaches were with their respective teams in the 2019 season? How many? So- Right now, how many of those guys were in the same exact roles in 2019? By the way, 14 teams in the Big Ten. Take a guess, Will.
1: Oh gosh. So 14 teams. I'm gonna let's go 10.
0: Not a bad guess. It's not a bad guess. And depending on which when you answered that question, you would actually be kind of right. Eight currently, and Mm -hmm. that's still more than half. The SEC has four, just four since 2019. If you had done that exercise in early September, though that number for the big 10 would have been 11, 11. That's a (laughs) lot. This year was kind of like this strange anomaly for the big 10 with coaching changes because Nebraska, Wisconsin, they both forked over big sec like buyouts with mid season firings. And then Jeff Brom left Purdue for Louisville. And then Kevin Warren, a climber through and through, he's definitely a Slytherin. He left the big 10 to go pad his resume with the Chicago bears, which I'm totally not terrified at all, by the way, Remember when Lane Kiffin left Tennessee for USC? I brought up this note before, but it bears repeating this time of year as we talk about the coaching carousel. When Lane left Tennessee for USC, which was now, what was that, uh, 13 years ago? Yeah, 13 years ago. Since then, the only time an SEC coach left the conference for another Power 5 job was James Franklin leaving Vandy for Penn State after the 2013 season. Mm -hmm. I think we can all understand The dynamics there, why that made a little bit of sense. Yep. There's a reason for that. In the SEC, you're either getting paid or you're getting fired. There's no in between. It it is one or the other. It's not just this twiddle our thumbs. Ah, you know what? We're going to let you sit out the remainder of your contract. Say what you want about the ridiculousness of these buyouts and all that stuff. But the SEC doesn't really operate like that. Everyone sort of made fun of the SEC coaching turnover and Throughout the last decade, it's been understandable, but the two most extreme examples of like peak SEC firings would be Chizik and Odron, both getting fired two years removed from winning a title. So both of those teams agreed to pay pretty significant buyouts and everybody's piling on saying, oh, this is the SEC. This is what they do. Then in year one, after that, a funny thing happened. Both of their first year coaches Gus, Gus Malzahn at Auburn, Brian Kelly at LSU. They beat Nick Saban, and then they won the SEC West. So didn't exactly blow up in their face in the way that many expected it to. Beating mm-hmm. Nick Saban was the thing that put Ohio State into new territory back in 2014. and It's what opened up the eyes of SEC people like my former boss. Since that happened, the Big Ten is 1-7 in, in playoff games. Average scoring margin, minus 14. They played in one national championship, an Ohio State team who needed the rules bent just to get into the Big Ten championship instead of Indiana because the Big Ten, give it credit, actually knew that Ohio State had a better chance of winning a national championship as opposed to Indiana. Um, They still ended up getting throttled by 28 against Alabama. And if you tell me that was just because of Justin Fields' ribs, I'd argue that Alabama losing the Heisman Trophy winner for the entire second half of that game probably impacted the final score as well. Just, just a thought, throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. That's the problem, though, and that's what saddens me so much about what the Big Ten currently is. Spin zones don't change reality. Reality is that anybody who tries to brag about the Big Ten or rather claim that there is SEC bias is ignoring the fact that in the playoff era, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State are a combined 2-10 against the SEC in the postseason. That lone victory outside of the aforementioned Sugar Bowl where Ohio State stunned Alabama – Florida beating or Florida losing rather to Michigan in the Citrus Bowl in 2015. Memorable game. Who could forget it? A lot of narratives changed that day. Not really. This is all just really sad. It's sad because the entire point of Jim Delaney being at the forefront of the TV rights era was that more money was going to lead to better facilities, better recruits, better teams, more championships. We're 16 years removed from the birth of Jim Delaney's Big Ten network, right? This thing that Mm -hmm. was so revolutionary, and it is. It still is revolutionary in what he did. But Ohio State is the lone Big Ten program who has even played for national title, and that 2014 group provided the only victory. It Mm -hmm. saddens me when I see tweets like the one the Fox Sports College football account put out the other day. Do you see this, Will? It was bad. Mm -mm. Fox Sports College football account – did a graphic with average AP ranking by power five conference. Guess who had the lowest and lowest is, I guess, good. In this case, the big 10 4.7 average AP ranking sec 11.8 average AP ranking. I know what you're thinking. Will and anyone listening to this, what does that even mean? What is, average what is happening? here? <laughs> yeah. Okay. What is average AP ranking? That's not a thing. Because like, oh, yeah, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, they all finished in the top 10. That's the Big Ten's only three teams in the top 25.
1: Oh, among the teams that are ranked.
0: Okay, man. Sure. They they made up that stat because, hey, why not? Who's going to check you on that? Flex where you can spin zone while you can do whatever you can to ignore the fact that the big 10 had two teams in the college football playoff and they both puked on their shoes in their own ways. The sec had six teams ranked in this totally made up metric. The sec would get hurt because instead of just having three top 10 teams, which the sec also had, it had also number 16 LSU and then number 20 Mississippi state. And then number 23, South Carolina so why does Connor, Fox I
1: forgot? How did LSU do in their bowl game against one of the Big Ten division champions?
0: It, let's just call it a dub. Let's just call it a dub. It's,
1: yeah, it feels like that's pretty good. I feel it Anyways. was.
0: It was. Why does Fox Sports put out a tweet like that? Why, why do they do that stuff? Right? Um, it's it's pretty easy. I'll explain it for you. The network who literally owns sixty one percent of Big Ten Network, it wants to make the Big Ten seem more relevant than it is. What's mm-hmm. funny? to me. And I have a lot of Big Ten people in my life. I do. Some of which are really close to getting muted. Really, really close. I love them. Ah, eh, I don't love all of them. Some of them are just kind of there. What's funny is that a lot of Big Ten fans cry that ESPN is just all about the SEC because ESPN owns SEC Network, even though you know ESPN has had rights with the Big Ten Network. Not with the Big Ten Network, but with the Big Ten itself, For basically as long as they've been doing college football broadcasts. But the funny Mm -hmm. thing is that if you flip on college game day, you've got the top two Big Ten schools represented, Herbie, Desmond, both of whom try and call it like they see it. And I think Mm -hmm. Herbie does a much better job of that than Desmond Howard. I think we can say that. What saddens me is what this has come to. It's spin zones, it's crying foul, it's saying they get this, they get that. It's doing everything possible to try and maintain relevance, even though nobody cares that your team's seven through 10 don't get enough respect. Nobody cares about that. The Big Ten saddens me because it didn't have to be like this, all right? It had a significant leg up on everyone. In TV revenue, something that the SEC took so long to get on that level of the Big Ten, which I think we forget about, but it took them a while and it took seven years for the SEC to have their own conference network after the Big Ten network because they launched in 2007. The SEC network launched in 2014. It took a while for them to get on that level. And instead of the Big Ten turning into the conference that would spit out new national championship contenders time and time again, we have watched the Big Ten get on the national stage and collapse. Mm-hmm. Teams didn't spend on recruiting in the way that they should have. 2019 athletic director you.com showed that there were six SEC teams who spent more on recruiting than the top big Ten spender, which was Penn State. 247 sports talent composite. The Big Ten has never had more than two teams in the top 10, while the SEC has never had less than three, though it averaged four and had as many as five. because when you want to have 26 scholarship sports and pretend like football isn't King, that's what happens to the big 10 non-Ohio state big 10 teams did not hold assistance to a high enough standard. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go off about Michigan keeping Don Brown on its staff and running that single high safety crap, but they basically are the epitome of that for a while. At least they were. Mm-hmm. And there are others who are very much guilty of this as well. Northwestern I, well, shout out. Yeah. Uh, Brian Ferenc, Um Yeah. Whatever. Oh, him too. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. He's the worst one. Yeah. But when you're the longest tenured coach in FBS, like Kirk Ferentz is uh, stability. It's, it's making money. All right. Like that's, that's Mm -hmm. what it's about. Iowa fans are still going to show up, you know, week after week and watch an offense air quotes, call it whatever it is. And I understand there, if there's anybody from the big 10 side listening to saying, what did I would do to the SEC team that they saw in the bowl game? All right, fine. That's your flex. Cool. Yeah. There's your pro column. Yep. That's fine. That's fine. Um. The conference itself put TV money ahead of creating the best path to the playoff and then it acted all high and mighty about it. And it took me a while to see this. It, It really did. It took me getting into a situation where I didn't have to sell relevance because the SEC's relevance sells itself. It does. Mm-hmm. I don't have to find ways to explain why ICC teams are relevant. I can point to 80,000 fans showing up to watch South Carolina after two in season. I can I can point to doing a 15 minute regular year round segment on hit that line talking about Arkansas football, even through the Chad Morris years. OK, I can point to Tennessee fans fresh off a decade of irrelevance, starting a literal rebellion because they didn't want Greg Shiano hired. I don't have to sell relevance. It has nothing to do with what they say on the scoreboard. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with that. Right around the time that that whole thing happened with Tennessee, it was at the end of my first season covering both the big 10 and the sec. My dad was back in Chicago, literally on his deathbed in home hospice care. And he told my aunt how proud he was that my bosses gave me an opportunity to cover sec football. Even my dad who worked Saturdays my entire life in the suburbs of Chicago, could call it like he saw it. I am grateful that my bosses gave me the opportunity not just to cover the Big Ten because yeah, sure, I've been able to watch better football in the SEC. It's been more relevant football. I get that. But what it allowed me to do was actually take a step back, look at the entire landscape of the sport and actually call it like I see it. I wish the Big Ten didn't sadden me. I I, I really do. But if you had told 25-year-old Connor that the Big Ten would only win one playoff game over the next eight years after he hopped in that U-Haul, and oh, by the way, the conference would still be several notches below the SEC, I think 25-year-old Connor would have seriously considered turning around that U-Haul. He would have. Of -hmm. course, if I did, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be talking to you now. And I am especially grateful that I get to do that. Talking mostly about SEC football.
1: Yeah, man. No, that's... That's good stuff. I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's, it's very funny that both sides have kind of used you as a um, scarecrow or as a, what's it called? A straw man to say, okay, you know, this guy, oh, oh, he's not a Southerner, but he's also a big Ten. You know, it's, it's crazy that you know you've kind of been in this nomad situation where you've you've seen both of these things. And to your point, you know, I think that you see the dollars and cents of it where you had to be an agenda pusher. You had to come from that way of life, and then as soon as it kind of got to the middle, you started to see it. I don't think that that's anything wrong with that. I think that to, you had to do that. Like we talked about with Clark Lee, you know, you when you live in the world that's that you have to believe it. You have to, because you're, you are you got to convince people that, you know what I'm saying? And, and I think that where they were, to your point about Ohio State, uh, you know, with Michigan coming in with Harbaugh, who's coming off of a Super Bowl appearance, you know, all this different, James Franklin, you're right about that. Um, You know, 50 Cent once said, you know, you can buy cars, but you can't buy respect, right? And I think that that's what the Big Ten is trying to do. You know, when you add a Rutgers and you tell me that you're trying to get the New York market, okay, let me sell you a bridge, all right? When you try to tell me that, and, and I know that you grew up watching Northwestern, not dumping on them, but if you think, oh, oh I feel free. No, feel free. But if you think I add Northwestern and suddenly you captured the hearts and minds of Chicagoland, that's not how that works, okay? Meanwhile, the thing that the SEC got dumped on was adding Mizzou, which talk to Adam Spencer if you think Mizzou fans don't care about Mizzou, all right? Those boys are passionate. They're great at basketball this year. You know, they're they're putting it together. And so point being, you know, I think that there's a very big thousand foot issue with this. It's that people in the North live each day of their life Thinking they're a little bit better than people in the south, and I think that they've told themselves, okay, well, everything that goes down there is messed up, and we just don't, we're not better at college football because we don't try. Well, now you're trying, and look what happens, you know. And in the south, we're very simple, you know. We care about a couple of things. We care about, you know, hospitality, care about passing a good time, as the Cajuns say. We care about some food, getting outside, you know, going to the beach, weather, being with your, but we really freaking care about college football, okay. And if you're going to come from a society that tells us pro sports are all that matters, that, you know, playoffs or the bee's and the bowl system is stupid and all this different stuff. And then you're going to try to play on an even field with the SEC. Because here's the funny thing. This beef is completely one sided. The SEC knows what they have and they always have. To your point about South Carolina, you go see a game day in South Carolina. Those people aren't thinking about Michigan. They don't care about you. They don't. They're having a good time. Okay, they're doing what they love. The fact that this is some kind of a competition has completely been invented by one side of it. And then they just promptly lost it. That's the funniest thing about it is that when you see, you know, old boy on Twitter talking about no, you know, Joe Burrow is actually an Ohio State guy. He doesn't say that. (laughs) So at the end of the day, it's the funniest thing in the world for these people. And, you know, I've lived all over. I'm not some kind of whatever. But I've seen how people in the north talk to people in the south and how my whenever I walk into a room, sometimes it's, oh, this guy's Cajun. He's from Louisiana. He's, you know, he's spicy, but he may not be the smartest. I get it because some of that stuff exists. I'm just going to be real with you. And I never think about it. But when it comes to college football and it comes into Okay, well, now we're going to have a competition. This is what we love. And you can't make people care about something. You can buy all the practice facilities. You can have all the press conferences. You can have all these people allegedly watching your games on Fox. But at the end of the day you can't make up what the sec has and what that is is you know what i'm saying we hear stories in the podcast group of people seeing gear and saying oh yeah you know story from back in the day and like that type of stuff every fan base is a connection to a region it's not some piece of laundry it's not just alumni they're a walmart i'm a walmart lsu fan that's gotten me this far all right i did not go to Louisiana state university i am sitting here as a walmart fan and like you know That's the thing, you don't see that with Northwestern. You see that with Ohio State, but they sell themselves this hopium that all they have to do is play in the Big Ten It's on this level and then they see Georgia. Then they see Alabama. Then they see LSU. And look what happens on a big state. So I think it's just about living in reality, man. I think at the end of the day, it's okay to let the South have nice things. It's okay to let us have buc and Publix and Chick-fil-A and college football and that's fine. You don't have to beat us at everything, dog. And, you know, that's, that's, that's it. It's just a different thing. And until, you know, I would love nothing more than every Rutgers fan to stand up and go fill up that Rutgers stadium because that would... That that would grow college football, but don't lie to me. <laughs> just be straight with me, bro. You don't got to pretend, you know, and I might be, I might be crossing some line here. I don't know. I know a lot of respected people uh watch this, but I've just seen it. And I just know that from my perspective, I've never sat there and thought about this competition as an SEC fan. It's been brought to my doorstep by big 10 fans, but I don't I just have never, when you see what happened, when you watch Georgia play football. If you think, yeah, I think somebody could really beat this team. I don't know what to tell you.
0: <laughs> and I I didn't really mean for this to be just strictly Big Ten versus SEC because mm-hmm. that, in my opinion, is, is what it often turns into in, in my head. But mm-hmm. I grow more and more frustrated when I see the opportunities that have been totally missed. I mean, just yep. totally, totally missed. And it's frustrating to think about – there was this opportunity and what everybody's kind of talking about going into this new era of college football with the two super conferences. Right. And we're going to hear this throughout this entire process of all the, the big 10 is adding USC. The big 10 is adding UCLA and the sec adding Texas and adding Oklahoma. And it's going to be the big 10 and the sec versus everybody else. Buddy. It's not, it's not. And I've lived this. I've, I've watched this and, the more people that I hear talk about that I try and think like, all right, who's selling me something that I don't even know if they fully believe it and who's just telling me what they see, who's telling me, call it like they see it. More times than not, that ladder favors the SEC, okay? It just does. And you can find little examples here and there and I get it. It's not a totally cover all argument, it's not. But what has frustrated me is watching the Big Ten get on this stage, try and flex, try and puff its chest out and continually running into the buzzsaw and then having nothing but shame afterwards to realize still not on that level, still not on that level and on that level, maybe at one point had a window had a nice two-year window where that could have really changed and we could have had a different discussion in college football, had the Big Ten upped that spending on recruiting, had the Big Ten been more strict with those coaches, all these things that I brought up. But that opportunity, in my opinion, is gone. It -hmm. is. And that's not to say the Big Ten is never going to win another national championship. That's not what I'm sitting here saying. I literally predicted Ohio State to win a national championship this year. So that's that's not my point at all. But if your entire thing is, oh, the Big Ten just gets a raw deal, and the SEC just gets to continue to ride the coattails of one or two elite teams. I think you're looking at this all wrong. And I think you need to call it like you see it. I think that's reality.
1: Well, and and, and a good note to bring that back around too is you know, when we you know, we're doing SDS stuff. It was the tail end of this other what we thought was the golden era of of the SEC. You know, you had Spurrier leaving at South Carolina. You had Rick kind of winding down at Georgia. Obviously, Urban Miles. I'm thinking like 2010 was the golden era. I'm thinking of so the tail end of someone that was there. Les Miles was still at LSU, but he was on the way out. And so it was you know for a little bit Alabama, and then there was a drop off to the next team. But obviously, those fans are, were mad. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want for it to be like the Big Ten with Ohio State. And that's why all those firings happened. That's why you go through. A couple of coaches at Arkansas, and then they're back. That's why you go to a couple of coaches, in these different places. So I'll say that, and then I'll also say, you know, uh, the tone. I'm wondering where that's coming from. You were talk about the Big Ten talking us? And I think I know what it is. It's the fact whenever you hear Slive and you hear Sankey talk, okay, versus Delaney and Warren. Mm-hmm. Delinea and Warren were talking at you whenever I heard them talk. They were talking as if they were talking down to you. They were like, oh, well, you know, the nine game schedule, well, the revenue, da, da da. And this is just my opinion. You don't have to agree with it. I'm not, I don't want to frame you. I know sometimes I do that. But I'm just saying, you know, when it comes to they put these things all high and mighty. Oh, we want to talk about our, you know, our academics. We want to talk about our cultural identity. Okay, that's fine. You want to talk about your cultural identity? Tell me why you're at in USC in UCLA. That's what kills me, is they come out here with these super hard lines, and I'm not going to get into, you know, the COVID stuff and how I think about it, but I'll just be honest. Them coming out there and saying, we are the authority. This is how it's going to be. And then them bowing down and saying, oh, we're actually going to play seven games. Just kidding. We're wrong. It was so endemic of how they think, because it's just like, we're going to be, you guys are ridiculous for thinking anything but what we think. You peasants. And then it's like, oh, just kidding. We're wrong. That's going to come out in a two-sentence press release. It's like, bro, just be real with me. But then on the flip side of that, you see Greg Sankey. What's he say? saying about the about the expansion okay make it 12 because we're gonna get 10 teams in there we okay and, and at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? It's That's the funny thing is that the SEC is able to expand and get these premier brands, Texas and Oklahoma, which are adjacent to their geography. You're not flying guys from, from New York to L.A. on play. It's a thing that's going to happen for Big Ten Conference games. Like I said, they come out there too hard. They come out there too absolute. They don't view nuance. And then whenever things backfire on them, they don't admit they were wrong. They just keep going to the next agenda. Whereas you, you hear Sankey, and he's one of the most pragmatic. You know, the way every issue comes out, he really sits back. You can tell he thinks about it. And how often do we really thought that Sankey has actually made a real misstep? Most of the time he weighs everything and he says, okay, you know, the SEC network, great example, took him a minute to get going. Once it got going. Slive,
0: Slive was at the time in, in power at that. That's not
1: no, 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 exactly. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's, the way the SEC brain trusts between those two guys versus the two Big Ten guys because it's been pretty in my opinion pretty seamless on both sides that their method of thinking is, they're different I'm not saying that they're not individuals but the overall brand and like I said for the SEC you know when they decided it was worth their time to get a network look how successful it is look at the talent they've brought in look at the amount of great games that are on there versus I don't really know the last great Big Ten network they've ever watched so point being like it's just that's the part of it that I'm, I was never crazy about is that we are the authority on college football just kidding I'm leaving for the Bears like whatever Never, bro
0: <laughs> and maybe that's kind of what prompted a little bit of this and seeing sankey's comments about we need somebody in positions of power we need people in positions of power who care about the future of college football and are mm-hmm. just looking to pad the resume which i don't know how you can look at kevin warren's situation and say anything but that i mean that's it was his entire goal was USC and UCLA and get that new TV contract as well. And all right, congratulations. You did that. You continue to make the big 10 more money. You did not bring the big 10 closer to what ultimately we matter. What we view matters in college football. That's winning Mm -hmm. national championship. That's getting teams in the playoff. It's having this year round intrigue, which the big 10 has still not quite captured. Listen, when
1: I think of winning playoff games, you got to bring in Lincoln Riley.
0: I mean, Many people are saying that. Many people are saying that. Yeah, even though Sonny Dykes now has more playoff victories than him and mm-hmm. Jim Harbaugh. His but. brother has more playoff victories. Don't forget. <laughs> That's true. This is true. Okay, Um. before we kick it to Edgar Thompson and Donald Hughes, a quick word from our friends at Underdog. As you guys know, sports betting, not legal in all these states. Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, most of the SEC states, it is not legal. I want to talk to you about underdog fantasy. You might have tried daily fantasy in the past, but underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. They have some awesome... Football contests, not just college football, I almost said college football, just football contests for these playoffs where you can compete for real money is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement right now with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join, sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play in these contests every week you can pick higher, lower for players, pretty similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line and yes, you can do it in States like Alabama, Georgia and Florida and Texas. So I'm going to add, I already gave you two picks the other day for the playoffs. I got two more here. We're going, we're going running back and we're going, we're going with some unders. All right. Uh, James cook. Love James (laughs) cook. Great player. Great Mm -hmm. player. I'm going under 41 and a half rushing yards against the, bills. I don't know if that's their their plan of attack. I think we're going to see a little bit more of a pass heavy approach. If that was if that was total yards, I would not be taking the under on that. I'd be taking the over, but rushing yards not necessarily something I feel like he's going to get and especially with Devin Singletary still involved there. And then let's go. Let's go Zeke. I'm going to go with under 37 and a half rushing yards at San Francisco. Tony Pollard's a better player.
1: About to say, he's the second best back of his own team. You know, I saw you talk about running backs. I was like, oh, man, I like to, you know, uh, what I, I like to talk about quarterbacks or receivers because usually that equates to a higher scoring game. I like how you've done the huge brain here and gone unders on the running backs, which is it even, it's a heady play. I like
0: it. <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Pollard, though, is like, that's that's the future. That's That's yep. the guy right there. And especially against San Francisco, too, who's been really, really solid defensively and that's that should be a fun game to be able to watch but yeah we went under with Mm -hmm. running backs i think i went over the other day with yeah over with both receivers so there's four plays for you Uh, underdog is really fun to be able to do while you're watching football at home you're watching these playoff games it's going to be a great divisional round of the nfl playoffs you can do this while you're just sitting in your living room you can win real money go to saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to a Hundred dollars absolutely free. Saturdaydownsouth.com/slash underdog. Okay, here is Edgar, and then we'll go to Donald. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Edgar Thompson of the Orlando Sentinel. Edgar covers all things Florida and lately uh you've just been on the the Jaden Rashada beat. I mean, it's been it's been wild. Let's let's start right there. I I think by this point, even a casual college football fan kind of knows what happened. Decorated quarterback recruit. Initially commits to Miami. He flips to Florida. He signs with Florida. Doesn't enroll at Florida because of reported broken NIL promises. Multiple outlets had the thirteen million dollar number that was thrown out there. Um, take that kind of for what it is. Who came out of this looking the worst?
2: Oh, that's that's a tough one to answer. I mean, Florida is the one that's going to pay the longest price for this probably perceptionally i mean Jaden rashad is a talented thrower of the football and 19 year old kid he's gonna get a shot somewhere now he might not be playing at top the top level of college football like he would have been at florida and at a program with such a tradition and fan base and all that but um i mean he could end up you know A school I've heard is SMU. Another one was Arizona State. I mean, I don't know if those are even in play. Certainly a big step down from Florida. But someone's going to take a talented kid who can throw a football, especially if he's, I mean, this kid, you got to think has some NFL potential long term. If if he grows, he needs to build his body. I I met him at the uh, Under Armour game. Kid's got an incredible personality, infectious personality. I was stunned when this developed. We talked to him on January 30. Was supposed to be in Gainesville on the 5th, and then didn't show to classes. And reports came out on Tuesday, whatever day that would have been. I can't keep my dates straight, but it would have been last Tuesday um, that he was not enrolled. That was, and it was like, oh, interesting. I was kind of in the dark on all that, and then the next morning began reporting diligently on this whole situation and came up came across this $13 million figure early that day and spent the entire day vetting that number, confirming with other sources, and then was confident enough to report it at like eight o'clock that night. So we're telling 10, 12 hours. Of, so you
0: think before. the number's legit? The 13 million is. is yeah. I mean, legit.
2: I reported, I'm, I'm, I reported the number first. It was out there, I think percolating in some corners of the internet and, like someone like emailed me, oh, you just stole that, and it's like, dude, i is how I operate, man. I mean, I'm not saying that. You know, I've never made a mistake in reporting in my career, but I can count on one hand with fingers left over how many, and I'm not gonna put my name to something. We're, we're like, the Orlando Sentinel is a reputable news gathering organization with trained journalists I mean I've been doing this 30 plus years as you can see from the gram up here this is this is my portal beard by the way I'm gonna <laughs> shave this thing off after the portal closes um <laughs> but no but but truly it's like we're not just throwing this out against the wall man this isn't like you know and I'm uh, a message board where you can kind of speculate or even on Twitter people say I'm hearing. I don't do any of that. I'm hearing stuff. I'm going to report something and it's going to be confirmed and confirmed again. And I'm going to pass it by editors. I mean, this isn't just something you go willy-nilly putting out there. So yes. And then the figure was confirmed by other media outlets as the week went on. The The thing that confirmed it for me though, Connor, was when my phone didn't ring within minutes. Because yeah. if that number had been wrong, I guarantee you someone would have been like calling me from the university, because I live in Gainesville, it's just up the road here. I live like two miles from the swamp. It would have been like Edgar. Where'd you get that? That is so off base, man. What the heck? Well, so I think there. The, I I say I I say with
0: skepticism, just because I think fine. when we you look at the contracts and 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 the way that this is played out, and if you've seen some of these contracts, which have been reported. You could look at that $13 million and say, all right, well, you would have to do X, Y, and Z. And if it's over the course of four years, that's a little bit different. No,
2: this one's a $13 million up front, mind you. Yeah,
0: right. And that's that's a key distinction.
2: No, no, it is. And I'm sorry. No, he wasn't getting $13 million to step foot on UF campus. And what originally, it sounded like the deal was supposed to be $1 million up front, $1 million a year which is the going rate, apparently, for a top quarterback. And he was, I think, 7th, 6th, 24-7 composite. 24-7 sports itself, I think, has him like 4th. And at the 5-star, 29th overall. So this is a talented kid. But he's not like Matthew Stafford back in 06 when I I was covering the Gators for my first stint and Tim Tebow was the second-rated quarterback in that class. Um, This isn't that so he's not either of those guys but he could be we don't know i mean matt stafford probably not but anyway point being this um yes you have to do things you have to be on camp you got to be here for the life of the deal but he was going to get paid handsomely to come to uf and now he's not coming is is why we're talking i mean he's released from his scholarship and and they probably came to some sort of an agreement
0: There are a ton of takeaways from this. If you're looking at this from the viewpoint of like, okay, you brought up SMU or, you know, Cal has been reported or Arizona state. And if you're looking at this from like, all right, if he's such a great quarterback, why isn't he going to a bigger and better place? It's because all these other programs have signed quarterbacks in this class. And that's not exactly a common thing to come in at the 11th hour, especially with all the NIL money that these other kids at that level are are getting to play quarterback. So that's that's part of it. You could say he's not worth it. Florida dodged a bullet. I saw our guy, Chris Doring talking about that. You know, He's not worth $13 million. And then there's, there's and I, what I think is the, the bigger long-term takeaway, and not just, oh, this person for the Gator Collective, whatever money fell through, uh, that person probably going to be excluded from future deals like this, whoever that person may be. But what I think long-term, and we were talking about this before we came on, is a potentially bigger issue is this is a a bad precedent to set for Florida in getting these future blue-chip quarterbacks. If this is the way that business gets done, that is a problem that this this story was so unbelievably public, regardless of what happens with Jaden Rashada and his entire career. Even if he never sniffs the NFL or anything like that, this is a really tough precedent for Billy Napier to set when he is the offensive guy and he is going to be recruiting nothing but blue-chip quarterbacks moving forward.
2: Yeah, it's it's that's why I'm saying it looks worse for Florida. I mean, Jaden, you make a great point. classes are already filled out. Um, he's also got this yoke that he's going to have to, you know, get out from under. I mean, this is not good for him and his family. It makes his dad, Harlan, look like a stage father. He's got his agent um, but in Dallas. Apparently, he's a very young guy trying to get into the business and probably not, doesn't look great for him. But who knows what they leveraged, what kind of agreement they might have leverage? Hey, let us out of the letter of intent and we'll go quietly for X amount of money. And if you're promising 13, maybe they gave him, you know, whatever. Who knows what kind of money they gave him? They probably gave him something you got to think to because he could just show up on campus and, and, and become part of the team. And maybe they wanted that. Maybe they wanted to negotiate a lesser deal and they just figure because Billy Napier doesn't let freshmen speak to uh, media we haven't talked to Trevor Etienne yet for example you could bring Jaden Rashada in here tell him shut all your social media stuff off and focus on what you got to do which is putting on some weight and working learning this offense and you're not gonna have to talk to anybody for a year and a half so right you could do that and he could come get in a little cocoon and it could all work out but I guess they just decided it couldn't but so Billy, yeah, he's gonna have to sell quarterbacks. That's I mean, they need quarterbacks. They have three quarterbacks on scholarship right now. Graham Mertz the, w- Mertz, the Wisconsin transfer, kind of a semi-underwhelming signing. I mean, he could turn out to be okay. You got Jack Miller, the Ohio State transfer from 2021. We saw one game with him, Las Vegas bowl. It wasn't good. Now the line was collapsing, the run game couldn't get going but he did not look very good and he's coming off an injury. So we don't know where his thumb was at in that game. Cause there was very little velocity on the football in that game. And then Max Brown is like a three-star kid from Tulsa. Who's like a project really. I mean, I think he might've been a better baseball player than football player in high school. His dad was a professional baseball player, I believe. So that's your quarterback room right now. Rashada kind of flushed it out nicely. And then they lost out yesterday on Walker Howard, LSU transfer who Billy gave his first scholarship offer. He's a Lafayette, Louisiana kid. When Billy was at Louisiana, he got to know the kid. Great relationship. He chose Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. So yeah, Billy selling a quarterback, back to your original point, and is going to be a little more tenuous potentially because of this. But here's my theory and kind of what I'm hearing is they're going to like kind of blow up the approach. This obviously didn't work. I'm speaking for Florida. Guys, this didn't work. We need a new plan. We need new leadership. We need new, um, what, what would be the word? New messaging, but you know, new, we need to package it differently. New name, new everything. And then there's gonna be a rollout. This is who's running it. This is how we're doing it. This is how we avoid future missteps. And we're figuring this out like everyone. This is, we're not even two years in here. At July 1st, 2021 was the start of NIL. And on top of it, Connor, there's new legislation potentially that could be in place soon. Chris LaMarca, who helped define the NIL law, push it through with uh, Darren Heitner, the former UF graduate and attorney who's been involved with a lot of this NIL stuff statewide, nationwide, and certainly within the Florida Gator Collective and all that um he's pushing Chris Lamarca for legislation that is going to allow more involvement from universities because you there just isn't that in Florida and you're not allowed to even communicate with high school kids which is a whole another thing we haven't even talked about I mean I'm going on all kinds of stuff here but is you're really not even supposed to be or not really you're not allowed to offer nil deals to high school athletes in the state of florida now Jaden is in california where you are so which law applies but the whole thing's a bad precedent man billy napier said we don't operate that way at sec media days in destin when asked about tex a and and all this like high school recruiting getting classes in for millions He's like, look, man, we don't operate that way. Well, someone over there decided they had to operate that way.
0: It's fascinating because I've tried to maintain the belief that we judge year one coaches too much in this sport, and it's not a good barometer for success either uh, on either side of the spectrum. And there are a lot of examples that really show there's not a direct correlation between how year one goes into how the rest of your tenure goes. But the problem with Napier is that The entire thing that... Florida fans were hanging their head on when he started was the approach. This guy has the right approach, he has the right support system, everything that he's going to be doing with recruiting to build this program up the way that Dan Mullen wasn't wasn't willing to do is going to work. The problem though is all the things that you just mentioned, if you have to blow up the approach already and you're already doing that pivot after 1 year on the job, it makes us question your long-term ability to do this job successfully. Do you still have confidence after one year of seeing the way that this has played out, that he is going to be the fit long-term, that he is going to be the right person to kind of usher Florida into this NIL era of college football?
2: Yeah, I have some concerns, you know, on field and now off the field. I didn't have many off the field concerns and now we have some on the field. Certainly some, and we can get into that when we talk about the state of the program and how last season went, but I think Billy is very smart, very organized, extremely detail oriented. Guy works his tail off I mean, and he can, he can like compartmentalize and juggle a lot of balls. I mean, you, and when you talk to him, there's a sense of calm, a sense of belief. You can to see it in his eyes and intelligence. I and mean, you know, when you're in the presence of someone who's pretty self assured and pretty in control, I get that sense with Billy this had to have blindsided him to a degree. I'm not saying that he wasn't aware of Rashada. It was being, that there was a discussion with Rashada about an NIL deal or whatever, but whether he was in the weeds on it. I, I don't think he was. I mean, he's smart enough to like stay out of that. Uh, he knows the rules. But this is a guy who quality controls everything. He talked about senior day. He joked when Mark Long from the Associated Press. I do a podcast with him. And in fact, we're going to do one later today. He's he does the Jags. He's driving over there right now. And um, he's a game but based in Gainesville. He's like last week on our pod, he's like, dude, this is a guy who quality controls senior day. Okay. He quality controls like the, the buffet at the new facility, the training table. He, every single aspect of this, every detail, every T crossed, every I dotted. I mean, and that's how he expects his players to approach the playbook and practice and taking care of their bodies and class and all the aspects of student athlete faces, which is uh, the demands are legion. So he he's a detailed guy. And this is a detail that just went off the rails, man. Uh, It looks pretty amateur hour with over there. I don't think, I think he can recover personally from this. I think they can get a plan in place. I think they can go forward. Uh, And then you got to get to the aspect of like, who's playing quarterback? How's the on-field performance going to improve? Because fans, I mean, Billy, I have a feeling in his mind is thinking this is a three-year project. He inherited a tough situation, and we can get into that a bit, yeah. too. But it's like fans are not that patient. They're already half the fan base not believing in Billy Napier at this point. I have concerns. I'm not off the Billy – I went on the bandwagon, but I'm not, like, off the – you know, this isn't Ron Zook 2.0. I knew <laughs> after 2002, which was my first season in Gainesville at the Palm Beach Post years ago, 20 years ago now – I was like, I don't think this is going to work out. You could just tell that things. I mean, what did we, we ended that year with Rex Grossman on going out for a pass. You don't remember this. You're a young guy. You might. Outback bowl. Vernal Brown was a receiver and is now a director of player personnel here at UF. He's come back. He played cornerback for Urban. Urban got in here and moved him from receiver to cornerback. He started for cornerback at cornerback and for Urban's first team in 05. Vernell Brown was a little diminutive guy, played at Gainesville High. Dad played here. All he did was run reverses. So he hadn't touched the football, dude, since the Georgia game that year, and it was a minus nine loss. I looked it up at the time. And so he comes in the game out of nowhere. And, I mean, all you're thinking if you're Michigan in the Outback Bowl, it's 38-30, you're like, that guy's touching the football. It's probably going to be a reverse. They pitch him the ball. He runs a reverse, but he was a high school quarterback. They send Rex Grossman out for a pass. He's in the middle of a 300-yard passing day. And that's how Ron Zwick's first season ended. You're walking out of there and going, this is not going to work out. Billy Napier has not done this, you know, crazy stuff. Plus, he presents well. Ron was like, blah, blah, you know, all over the place, you know. And Billy's just very measured. He doesn't say much, but he's got his plan. He's got his message. And I think he's going to recover from this. I think he's going to, you know, put a competitive football team on the field, but the the standard man is just in the sec and, and the teams you're going to have to climb over. I'm a big golf guy. Well, you get into Sunday at like the masters and you're five back and or four back, let's say, and you're like Roy McElroy. Well, mm-hmm. if you got John Rom, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Hideki and a couple others in front of you. How are you going to get to the top of that later board? That's where he's at. The Florida brand is still good. There's a lot to offer here, but man, you got Georgia, Bama, LSU, and the list goes on in front of you right now.
0: A lot, a lot of what you said, I want to, I want to dig into because you bring up the the year two vibe, and there really has not been a year two Florida coach who has been in a situation like this since Zook, because I went back and, and and thought about it. I'm like, you know, Mullen, he won a New Year's Six Bowl in year one. McElwain, we all know how that played out, but he won the East in year one and rose above those expectations, even amidst the Will Greer saga and the way that that all played out. champ went seven and six, but they won the bowl game. They started in the top 25 in year two. Urban won nine games, preseason top seven heading into year two. So like the Zook thing, like it's been two decades since we've seen a year or two where you're kind of still wondering, man, really, uh, what, what's going on? But at the same time, you could also say, with the exception of Urban, with those three guys, Must Champ, McIlwain, and Mullen, what did that get them? What did that really get them? Is it possible, and am I crazy to think, okay, you could look at the wins. You could look at the wins and say, well, Florida had the sixth highest-rated average recruit in this cycle, and the way that that played out and the schools that they're behind, and you could say, all right, you've already got six Power 5 transfers, and you could say, okay, the expectations are low. Maybe, just maybe, that's going to be the thing that helps Billy Napier in a place like this where expectations aren't necessarily soaring into year two. Is there any belief that that could be something that benefits him in this second season?
2: No, I like it. It's a great way to look at it. And I mean, Billy, you know, hopefully watches your uh, show because he'll be happy to hear that optimism because <laughs> it is an optimistic view and it's a very realistic one. Um, because there isn't going to be a lot of expectations. This team is not going to be in the top 25 to next season. People don't think Graham Mertz was a good get. Graham Mertz was like the 65th recruit, I believe, in 19, like number five, pro, three pro style quarterback, four. I mean, he was pretty highly touted kid out of Kansas.
0: U.S. Army All-American MVP. He was. Uh, so he was highly good. touted
2: and, and went to Wisconsin. And he had a game where he was 20 of 21 or something against Illinois. Um, so he showed signs inconsistent. He's supposed to be an incredible leader from a great family. Looking forward to speaking to the young man. I don't want to write him off. But 38 and 26 TD interceptions, not great. 59-ish, 8-ish completion percentage in this day and age, not very good. But he was playing for a probably conser- very conservative run-based offense and playing in a lot of bad weather games. That's not going to be the case here as much. I mean, it might be a conservative run. I mean, it can be a run-oriented team probably. I mean, why wouldn't it be with Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne Um, but I think that, you know, maybe Graham Mertz will surprise a little bit. They need him to, uh, you know, they got a really nice, you know, few receivers in this class. Now, two of them are pretty light. I mean, Aiden Mizell and Eugene Wilson are like a buck 65, buck 70. I mean, getting off the line against NF, you know, SEC DBs could be something, but these guys are super quick. I mean, Mizell's like a a sprint of 400, like, you know. didn't win the state championship anyway great runner um the other guy's super quick you got some pieces you're bringing in you got pirasol back you got xavier henderson maybe they get something going i mentioned the running backs the line they're addressing in the portal decently and there might be another guy coming if they get this one kid i'm hearing they could really put that line in place that they they lost four or five starters. so there might be some reasons for optimism the defense can't be worse so if you want to look at it in an optimistic view, you can, and the low expectations, suddenly you win eight games and people are like, oh, they're making some progress versus like eight games is a disappointment. So that's your optimistic view. Your pessimistic view is your quarterback room, Your the highlight of it is Graham Mertz. And you're like, man, I mean, you really haven't done anything. And you're relying on freshman receivers. I mean, unless you're like Percy Harvin, you don't come in and impact immediately at that position often. Antonio Callaway did. He he's, he was a, a really good playmaker. One of those guys is a Callaway. That'd be pretty sweet. I mean, Eugene Wilson could be that guy. Myzel could. Um. Anyway, anyway, I'm now I'm off on huge tangents, but the, you can find some optimism going forward, certainly. And you know year ones man are can be really tough and they you know yeah you have the sonny dykes one you have lsu but you also have mario cristobal's year one
0: that's true that's that's a good point and it's something that they're
2: bad year ones too he walked into a tough situation i'm a dan mullen guy i mean anyone who's listening to my podcast heard me on radio shows I thought Dan was a really good football coach in terms of scheming, calling plays, really good in-game coach. I, I Great offensive mind. I mean, the Gators, Billy Napier would be well served getting Dan Mullen on his staff. <laughs> um, you know, I'm telling you, he would. I mean, obviously that wouldn't work. But the point is, the offensive, they could use another offensive mind in that room, I believe. Billy tries to take on a lot on that role, he's a quarterback's coach, offensive coordinator, head coach with his huge staff, all the balls he has juggling. You know, the offense had some, you know, maybe as Anthony Richardson was missing reads, missing throws, you hear two sides to it. But bottom line is I thought Dan was really good. And he started out, he's 29 and six until Marco Wilson threw a shoe against LSU. Okay. And then the wheels started coming off. But there was some underlying rot going on with the organization, with the recruiting push, with everyone being in lockstep, maybe with the way players were buying in, different agendas. I think COVID created a lot of challenges and exposed some of that. And then it just fell apart in 2021. And Scott Strickland pr- rightly pulled the cord uh, and moved on to a guy who he felt like had a relational kind of component he was going to relate to players was going to you know organize things better and recruit better and that's where we're kind of at and billy's you know at the nascent stage of a program but again who's patient anymore
0: everything that i had heard about that 2020 team which um in some ways is it, it kind of like perfectly encapsulated everything of the mullen era (laughs) <laughs> in, in like it, with just with the offensive upside the adjustments the fact that they just suddenly go to the number 1 passing offense in the country and then they have the finish that they did with all the bizarre instances i everything that i had been told about that team was that it was held together by Brian Johnson during the black lives matter movement And that if he hadn't been in that role, then that team would have splintered in a hurry in a way that it did once he left and took the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback's job. And that was one of the reasons why that 2021 team was the disaster that it was and that his loss was super underrated with that team. But now with Napier, it's like, okay, so you are left inheriting all these things and we're trying to figure out what your identity is. And that's the the question that I have moving forward is that we could point to, to things as to like why there could be optimism here, here, and here. But at the same time, it's frustrating to look at the play calling and the Graham Mertz thing. Graham Mertz is probably going to be the starter unless they get somebody else out of the portal. I would assume that's going to be the case. Do you assume that's going to be the case?
2: Well, when Walker Howard fell through, I don't know where the next step would be. But I don't have access to the portal. First of all, and I don't have a list of the portal. The we got to get that. Available.
0: I want to. That's like you got to know somebody who knows somebody. Like Mac, Max Olson has it. Cole Kubelik has it. Matt um, who, he Matt has, it too. has
2: always been the portal guy, man. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, he was nailing portal transactions. He got Chris Steele. Remember when Chris Steele? Oh yeah. He reported wow. that he'd been in the portal. Someone told me at UF in the portal like three minutes. <laughs> It was like he must have been hearing something, but he was just hitting the refresh button like you're a ticket master trying to get a good seat for a concert. But, yeah, he um, he's good at it. But, yeah, point is, I don't know the lay of the land on the quarter on quarterbacks. Graham Mertz was getting some positive buzz at the AFCA convention in Charlotte. Jesse Simonton won three, good friend of mine. He's Gainesville-based now again. He and his wife moved back. I'm good friends with them, great people. Jesse's super talented. Talked to some people up there and they were praising Mertz, Florida coaches and others. So they feel pretty good about Graham Mertz, okay? But he can get hurt. And then who do you got, Jack Jack Miller might, I wrote a, the ode to Jack Miller before that Las Vegas Bowl, which I'm glad I wrote it before that. But he had an injured thumb. And I mean, think about that. It's like a golf with a bad wrist you know, your confidence to really finish, to really, you know, compress that golf ball. Same thing, gripping a football, putting the spin on it, whatever, with his hand. That thumb became an issue. I don't know whether it got infected, had another surgery, I don't know. I mean, I, and I probably shouldn't even speculate on that. Somehow that thumb did not heal on the timetable originally set out, set forth. So he he didn't look good in that game, but I mean, he was a guy with some pedigree too. At one point he was like super highly rated recruit and then he hurt his shoulder and his recruiting dropped, but he was still like a top hundred guy, 13th rated quarterback. uh, You know, this is a kid with some, you know, upside for sure. So you got a couple of guys there that are intriguing, but do you want intrigue at that position? Do you want like, if, you know, things fall into place You want more of a sure thing. We knew Anthony was going to be a bit of a wild card and X factor, and he proved to be. We saw some scintillating highlight reel stuff, and we saw a lot of head scratching moments too with Anthony. A lot of people were like, good riddance. Oh, he, you know, he held that offense back. He couldn't hit an eight, 12 yard throw consistently, maybe couldn't make line checks. Okay. I think Anthony Richardson was in his first year of taking that position seriously in his entire life, where he wasn't just like leaning on athleticism, was actually trying to learn the position. He came in 2020 COVID year. There was no like real meetings going on. He was barely around Kyle Trask. Who knew how much Brian Johnson exposure he was getting? Who knows how much he was diligent about any of it? Um, Then he's Emory Jones, backup in 2021. He's sitting here going, hey, I got my package. I'm running. I'm good with that. You know, doing backflips and just, you know, doing whatever when he got in the game. And that was it. This year, he finally was studying to be a quarterback. Who's to say Anthony with another year offseason and all that next year? Now, that's a moot point now. But he could go to the NFL and everyone's like, oh, my God, I'd never touched that kid with a 10-foot pole. I've talked to plenty of people saying that. Okay, that kid, man, he might have just it might be a tip of the iceberg with him five years from now we might be going home huh, that guy that kid was you know ha- we knew he had this potential and now he's reaching it but you're left with grand march you're left with jack miller max brown and maybe a yet to be identified player i don't know who it would be but is there really someone out there who's going to like you know change it all I mean, there, I don't think there's that guy just floating around out there. Cause we'd be hearing about him every five minutes. If he were.
0: I I've been trying to think if, and you're, you're a better person to answer this question. If there's been a more angsty time for Florida fans, just looking at their rivals, just looking at that alone, because Georgia obviously just repeated. You can't make the 1980 jokes anymore. Florida State is going to start off as a probably a preseason top 10 team, maybe even a preseason top five team. I think they're the ultimate good vibes team in college football. I think Tennessee coming off of the year that they just had best season in a couple decades. And then, you know, LSU, Oh, by the way, wins the West takes down Saban in year one of the Brian Kelly era. I mean, never mind the fact that Florida couldn't even beat Vandy that that's gotta be contributing to a lot of this post year one angst, with Billy Napier, I would assume. Can you think of a time in your two decades covering this, this team that there has been more of outside frustration looking at the rest of the college football landscape and seeing their rivals doing what they're doing? This feels like right now is is kind of a a, a point in which things can boil over in a hurry.
2: Yeah, so I told, I arrived for Zook's second game, which was Miami, um 41 16 they ran for 300 yards willis mcgay he just up the middle all night and grossman was just harassed by a really a generational team I and mean, that team should have won the national title again um one of the most loaded rosters you'll ever see and so that was like they were so far behind miami at that point and then f- now the, Billy arrives. They're not behind Miami. They're not really behind Florida State. Back then in 02, the Gators were pretty far behind Florida State, too. I think Anquan Baldwin was on that team, that Florida State team. I remember driving out there for that game as a night game, and they whipped Florida. So Florida's behind his two in state rivals. And then. Somehow that year, though, beat Georgia, top five unbeaten Georgia team that was doing this alternating quarterback thing with David Green and DJ Shockley that was baffling and they upset them. Zook would do that once in a while, but they also lost to LSU 36-7 in the Swamp, which was your crossover rival. So I guess, but Kentucky wasn't good that year. And, and wasn't good at that time. Vanderbilt was no good at that time. South Carolina was down at that time. Um, so you beat Georgia. Tennessee was like still good. Um, that was a Casey Clawson game. Seven fumbles in that game. Yeah. Raining like crazy. And Casey Clawson could not hold on the football. I don't know if they had all seven of them. I think they fumbled seven times Tennessee. Point is... You had a couple of teams that were good in the East, maybe. And then Tennessee was really kind of on the decline. And Georgia was kind of a little, Not, no, they were with Rick. They were fine. But now South Carolina's trending. Kentucky's stable. Vanderbilt has a good coach and beat Florida this year. Clark Clay is good. Um, I don't know where it's all headed, but he seems like he might have a little something going there lsu with brian kelly i mean you got to go there this year um i'm who am i forgetting from the east i'm forgetting somebody i mean then you got georgia but whatever the case the east tennessee with josh heupel great play caller so offense is going to be nails it's like the east is strong And then you open at Utah, which you were lucky to beat this year. And that whole Utah game kind of created this unfair expectation of this team and probably Anthony to some degree. Yep. They came out like gangbusters. I remember seeing Todd McShay here at the game, the Kentucky game in week two. I'm like, Todd, what'd you think Anthony Richardson? He was awesome, right? You know, I'm like, because I was wowed And, and I was like, he's gone, which it turned out to be, but it wasn't like is, is, you know, it was not like he was just suddenly gonna build into a Heisman contender. He's like, Look, man, that's a good performance. He's as good an athlete, the best athlete playing the position in college football. No doubt. Let's see how let's see how he does tonight. He goes, Mark Stoops is gonna throw some stuff at him. Well, yeah, how he did was 14 to 35 with two of the worst reads you've ever seen. And, you know, Kentucky's linebackers were spying and baffling. He got hurt early in the game. I think he got his ankle dinged, which might have been a season-long kind of concern and issue. I think he had an ankle that was kind of da- banged up all year. And um, so we that turned on its head real quickly. And then they end on this really, really sour note. You beat South Carolina in the swamp on senior day, 38-6. Look like you have something going. South Carolina's like, whoa, maybe they're not as good as you think. The next week, they hang 63 on Tennessee. And you're like, wow. And Florida goes to Vanderbilt and loses. And then loses at Florida State, being outscored 17 to nothing in the third quarter. It's three, three straight three and outs. FSU goes field goal, touchdown, touchdown to pull away in that game and hold on. And then you go to the Las Vegas Bowl, which you don't decline a bowl game, I guess. I mean, you don't want to not do that and take the reward away from the kids. And it's a fun trip to Vegas. Yeah, not Vegas.
0: You don't turn down Vegas. You could turn down Birmingham. You could turn down. And I like Birmingham. Don't get it twisted. But like you could turn down some of these games, but you don't turn down Vegas.
2: No, you don't. And it was kind of a reward for the kids and they were pumped. Well, they didn't show up, and Oregon State was a pretty dang good team and a very physical football team, and beat Florida's butts, thirty to three, outscored forty-eight to six in the third quarter of those final three games. You know, lots of questionable stuff went on in those games, and in fairness, the Las Vegas ball Richardson didn't play, Ventrell Miller didn't play, Osirens Torrance, All American guard didn't play, Justin Shorter didn't play. All those guys at one point or another had injuries and. It, all heading to the nfl i mean shorter is like you know miller can be high picks and shorter might it might be a undrafted free agent but the point being is you're without some key cogs but it just was a bad way to end the season then you go into signing day and you don't really close with like anything like you don't get you know a piece, it's like, oh, we got him. Or we, instead, you miss out on a few guys. And I don't have names in front of me, but they didn't really get a guy late. And then Rashada drama starts because that's when it really started. He took forever to sign his letter of intent that day. The press conference delayed a, an hour plus, and we're like, I remember, yeah. On? Rashada didn't sign his scholarship, and we're like, I'm thinking naively, ah, eh, Pacific time. You know, kid was sleeping late or whatever. Nineteen year olds can sleep to one o'clock like it's nothing. But but the point being, it's like didn't really realize there was some smoldering. You know, there's some smoke going on. And here we are now.
0: Will September be your first time in Utah?
2: No, no, I, I worked my first job. Uh, I went to school in New Mexico. Oh, nice. OK, yeah. A I love, bad. Albuquerque, okay. love Albuquerque, love Albuquerque. Moved here reluctantly 20 years ago, and I love Gainesville, great area. I've lived in Gainesville most of my time in Florida. I was in South Florida six years doing the NFL and some other things for the Palm Beach Post. But do I like Florida living. But New Mexico was great, and I covered the WAC, 16-team WAC. You remember that? They had SMU. They had San Jose State. You had Rice. I mean, the WAC was a mess. Then it like got back into what it was and now it's, and it became the mountain West. And um, so I've been to Salt Lake city, a bunch covering games. And we also used to have a timeshare, our family in park city. Oh, nice Great area. Beautiful. It's like, seriously, I've not been to Europe and into the Alps, but it feels like that's what it would be like. I mean, these mountains sit right on the edge of the city towering. It's beautiful. It's very pristine gorgeous area so i'm looking forward to returning out there sounds like the game could be on a thursday night i reported this last week because i got hold of the contract and was like hold on what's this and then talking to some people they like to open on thursdays and then the gators would willingly do this because it would give them some extra rest even though mcneese states a week later you just want to have your bodies right heading into week two
0: long trip back too and you know you got to deal with all that stuff i was going to warn you about the the liquor laws, but you, you don't need to, to worry about that anymore. Okay. Then, then you're good. You don't have to worry about any of the weird, like
2: 3.2 beer. And like, you have to sign up to go to bars. You got to join, right. You got to join the bar, like pay 10, 20 bucks as a, you know, you're a member. Oh, it's
0: it's bizarre. Like we drove in from Vegas because we were uh, we, went, we were at Zion over the summer. and We drove in and we're like crossing over the border and they're like, you should stop at the liquor store. That's right on the border right here, because there is no liquor store for like three hours. We're like, we're going to be here for a week. We got to like really load up on stuff. For sure. Oh, it's it's trippy, man. So, yeah, that'll be that'll be a fun trip, though. I'm glad to see Florida kind of getting outside of its geographical uh, nook whatever you want to call it I mean first game outside of the central or eastern time zone for them in the regular season since was it like 92 or something I mean it's it's maybe even longer than that like it's been a yeah long, it might long be time.
2: longer I don't have the media guide in front of me but it is it's been been many years and I, I like Scott Strickland's stri- scheduling approach they get Miami on the schedule on 24-5 um, that's nice and then they have like Texas way down the road, Notre Dame, and others, but now Texas is coming into the conference. But they got Cal, Arizona State. They have some fun matchups going forward throughout this decade and into the 30s. But we'll see how the SEC, you know, um additions to 16 teams and where college football all heads, which is a whole nother discussion. And NIL is part of that, and the transfer portal is part of it. The game has changed so much, man. I mean, one thing I'll say here, and, and, you know, I know you probably got to wrap this up, but there, it's become so transactional. I covered the NFL for several years, and it's just constant with that. It's like the injury report is, you know, all that, all that. The contracts you can sign at any time during a season, a guy can get an extension. This stuff can just come out of nowhere. Now, that, but the thing is, it's much more organized on when you can do certain things. The windows are much more set out. They need to get better with that. With this, with this sport, think about if you're a coach in December. Sounds What's like what hell. Up against. I mean, you're finishing up your season. You're trying to wrap up a recruiting class. The transfer portal now opens for business December 5th. So tons of your players are leaving and you're trying to like interest guys that are entering the portal that you want. Oh, and we got a bowl game to deal with. It's just like, huh? I mean, how would you, I don't even know how they keep it straight. It's why you need a staff of, you know, dozens of people in Billy Napier's case to kind of keep all this organized. And you know, then as the head coach, you got to try to keep it all organized and to bring this full circle. It's why something like a third party running a deal with a kid behind the scenes when you got 90 things going on and you're Billy Napier and you're trying to worry about the guys on your team and getting your roster built. One kid talking to your collective with his agent that's where these things could happen you got to think now i hadn't even really thought about all the distractions billy was under i mean it's he's not a machine
0: Jaden rashada goes to cal we get a cal florida match i haven't even looked at when that's when that's, that's almost, a ways down the road that's a ways down the road okay he would have to be there but but everybody's got eligibility Arizona
2: State, Arizona State or cal one of them comes on the schedule in about 26 all right
0: just circle your calendar right now. That's gonna be game of the century. Looking forward nice. to it. Yeah, Edgar, this has been uh it's been great. Really appreciate the time. Stay uh stay sane out there.
2: Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
0: Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our Saturday down south podcast, Bowl Mania Group winner, Donald Hughes. Donald, uh let's let's start right there. You had the best record. No no tie for first place, even amidst a wild bowl season with opt-outs and transfers and coaches leaving. How did you find so much success being able to predict these games, and can you teach me how to accurately predict games?
3: Uh, flip a coin. No. Um, actually, you know, a lot of the uh, bigger games um, – uh, well, first off, let me say this. Let me say congratulations to the Bulldogs, uh, even as an Alabama fan, that hurts to say. Uh, but congratulations! They've got they had two great seasons. I hope maybe we can catch them soon. Um, as far as the, as the games, a lot of the smaller games, um, I, I'm a huge fan. I, I just love college sports. Um, I, I mean, I love the NFL, but the, as far as the rest of the professional leagues, I just I can't stand them. So I watch a lot of college sports, uh, but I can't say that I've followed all the teams. And several of my picks, I'll be honest to God, truth tell you, it it some of them were. They were so lopsided to one side. If I didn't really know the two teams, I would pick against the side. Say if like it was one team was 75% to win, I would pick the other side, you know, hoping maybe an upset. You see what I'm saying? Um, and um, some of them, like I said, my Tar Heels, that was a tough one to pick. Uh, you know, we played Oregon. Um well that's just to be said we we just don't play defense like the people teams careful, are careful
0: careful you're talking to the number 1 pro gene Chiswick podcast in the continental united states <laughs> careful i know you're a tar heel fan it's a, it's a rough year one with that defense but it's it's yeah. improving we could say that
3: oh oh i think it's going to be i think gene's going to do a good job i hope um we we he came in on a short talent pool uh very really did uh he came in with a lot of uh what i would say uh overrated four stars and uh a bunch of three and two stars so we can't expect miracles from that you know what i'm saying uh but we have had some transfers out kind of like alabama has not quite as many but uh i think our focus if i'm not mistaken on recruiting was was largely on especially the defensive line because we had no pressure on the quarterbacks last year um but I th- I think we're I think we're gonna be okay. Uh our offense I think is geared to, you know, stay where it's at. Um Drake May was a was a was a wonderful thing for us. Uh of course we had to snatch in from Alabama though. So True. <laughs> that kind I, I was hoping he'd be down there when, when Bryce left. But um yeah, a lot of my picks, um, like I said, a lot of them I had seen uh, you know, play late night on ESPN and, you know, when there wasn't an Alabama game on or whatever um i think the number one thing that 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 got me is i talked myself out of picking ohio state smart <laughs> uh uh yeah because that was said it was it was such a one sided thing and i think everybody pretty much assumed that georgia had to beat itself i mean i didn't there was nobody in the in the nation that was going to beat them with their a game so that was one i when I got down to that when i kind of wavered you know what I'm saying and I'm glad I stayed with them because I mean that like said they were the best team and even if even if they are my rival I want to see the best team win
0: unless sure. it's against that So, okay. So you're, you, you get to be an Alabama fan. So you get the, the high expectations on a yearly basis, but you're in a unique spot also being a North Carolina fan and having this, like, all right, it's everybody understands, you know, it's a basketball school. You're going to be, you're going to be having low expectations on a yearly basis. Is it kind of nice for you, especially in a year like this? And I recommend this. I think this is kind of an underrated thing. Like you can have your, your, your true blue, whatever, you know, your team that, that just kind of hits the childhood nostalgia whatever but then pick a different team so that that team doesn't devastate you in years like this and this would be considered a devastating year by Alabama standards so how much did that help you this year as a fan to deal with what was just a devastating two-loss season for Alabama
3: well um uh, me and Jay Woody talk a lot um we've I've never met the man but um he's actually the one I had started noticing his post some odd reason Saturday down South podcast showed up on my Facebook page and I had been gotten to talking to him and he invited me to the group. I've actually got a sticker on the back of my car from Alabama. Um, and I get asked about it all the time. Um, we, we've we been talking about it ever since the beginning of last season. You know, we've seen it, uh, you know, because a lot of people left. That's not an excuse, but we, you, we, we didn't see the people coming in. You know what I'm saying? We didn't see the, the the we still had great great recruiting classes but they weren't the ones that were normally on par especially on our O line and our defensive backfield and i i mean I, that's the way i feel um some of us may feel different now with carolina the problem is is our record early on was built against sunbelt teams you know what i'm saying so i, I as i was trying to quell, I, i'm a realist i mean I, i'm you know what i'm saying i can I can look at my team and say they're horrible, or they, you know, they they lack in certain areas. And believe me, I get in a lot of trouble on some of my other pages, like my Tar Heel fans pages, because when I criticize, I'm not criticizing. I'm just pointing out that we need to do better. And I kept trying to quell everybody's optimism all year long. Like, look, I'm happy they're winning, but when it's Georgia State, when it's App State, who gave us one hell of a game, man, that was, it was awesome. sixty-one. I mean, um. You know, I said, you got to quell your uh, thing. We caught Miami on a down year. We caught um, – Notre Dame, of course, came in and probably could have beat us worse than they did. Um, but I kept telling everybody, you got to wait till we face a defense that can quell our offense. And Georgia Tech, State, Clemson in the ACC championship game, even Oregon, you know, they held us to 27 points. I mean, and that's that's low for us. You know what I'm saying? We could normally end the 30s. So it, even though Alabama was kind of having what you call a down year um it was in a, it was it was refreshing to see some Ws from my other team but I knew come into the year you know we were going to be in for a tough tough sledding and I actually went to the Carolina Clemson ACC championship game first time I've ever been in Panther Stadium I hate to admit that being a fan but um great place if you've never been there uh and so, unfortunately, I had to suffer really bad through those last four or five weeks. You know, we, we lost four or five in a row, went from 9-1, and one, you know. And also, I kept trying to quell everybody's talk. I love Drake May. I think he's going to be an excellent quarterback. But all that Drake for Heisman, you know what I'm saying? You, you can't get hyped up playing the – for the Heisman, playing, you know, Georgia State. And, and you know, you, when you – you got to be playing some people to be really as far as I'm concerned to be hyped up for the, for the, uh, for the Heisman champion, Heisman trophy. But uh, it, it was a refreshing end to the year for, uh, or actually what I would call, I guess a bittersweet. Uh, I was hoping we would, hoping we would beat Oregon. We didn't, but uh, it was good to see Bryce and will go out on a great, a great mm-hmm. game. I mean, they, all these other leagues. I'm sorry. I hope I don't upset nobody. But nobody wants. They can talk all they want to about the SEC. All I can tell them to do is come play us. <laughs> I don't think we're scared to play anybody. I mean, really. So
0: okay. I don't know. I'll get you out of here. On we'll bring it back to picks. We'll okay. um. I'll let you call your shot here. And with with your teams. And I, I think I know what direction you're going with this. You can either squat on Drake May for Heisman next year, or Bama wins the SEC championship and wins a national championship next year, which lane do you want?
3: I would want the Alabama national championship.
0: Okay, the fact that you're thinking about it is is, is fascinating because most years – that's not even a thought. Why would I bet on an individual player to win the Heisman or you know Alabama sweeping and winning it all? But that to me is telling that you're at least at that point.
3: Yeah. Well, let me let me say reason I reason I, I thought about it. Uh, of course, I would love to see anybody. You know, Heisman Trophy is a prestigious award. Uh, but in saying that, I would hope for the Alabama national championship. As bad as I hate to say it, with what we're going to have to replace. I would think Drake would probably be closer to winning the Heisman than we will be to win the national championship. I, I just don't. I don't. Now, like I said, I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't see us replacing Bryce. I mean, let's face it, Bryce Young is a generational talent to me. He's right. I mean, the board's done. He exceeded expectations, especially this year, with all the people we lost as far as our receiving core, our offensive line. But as we've seen in the in the small amount of time we've seen Milro who backed him up, he, he's not Bryce. And if he's our backup, then we <laughs> we obviously don't have supposedly anybody better. Um, but I, I see I do see Georgia taking a little bit of a step back. But I no three P. I don't I don't think so. But you can't count Kirby out, man. Never. I mean, and and that's another thing. Me and Jay Woody talk about all the time. Is I'm, I don't want to say I'm taking uh, Nick Saban should take credit, but you know Nick Nick's biggest success was his his assistants too, and now you see them the Kirby's the Lanes you know the, the Sarkisian they're going out and making names for themselves too. So, um, but I, I just don't I just don't see it, it. may be actually another two lost season for us.
0: Oh, you really are the realist.
3: I haven't seen our schedule yet. So, I don't know if we, you know, maybe we're playing some Vanderbilts or whatever. It, but it's just like my Tar Heels in basketball. They're going to get their best. They're going to get the best shot from every team they play. I mean, look at Texas this year. They almost beat us. You know what I'm saying? Even I think, in all honesty, I believe if viewers wouldn't have got hurt, they probably would have beat us down there in Texas. Um, Tennessee, I actually tell you, honest guy, truth, I thought Tennessee would beat us worse than they did. Really? At the time, their offense was just rolling, and let's just face it, our defense wasn't our defense. So, um, yeah, i I would wish for the I would wish for the championship, but I think Drake will be close to winning the high.
0: Love it, bold, bold, just like your picks, Donald. Really appreciate the time, man. Congratulations, and uh, thanks for thanks for listening and following along.
3: Oh, yes, Con. Appreciate it, man. You have a great day.
0: If you have not, leave us a five star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod, at SatDownSouth. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name right on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.